when you are in, in therapy and you're healing, it's like you're climbing up a ladder. But then you're gonna you look down and you're like, oh crap, I need to I need to talk about that thing that I left out there. Yes, therapy is healing, and yes, talking about it with anybody is it's gonna be healing and it's also gonna be painful. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Before we get started, just a few notes on today's content. The views expressed here only reflect our opinions and don't represent the CWC or the University of Florida or the mental health professions as a whole. Additionally, some content may be sensitive for students who have experienced trauma. Please reach out if you need additional support. In this episode, Dr. Sarah Nash and Kate Wrench, registered mental health counselor and intern at the CWC, discuss healing from sexual assault. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. So we are talking today about sexual assault, specifically our own personal experiences of sexual assault and how that impacted us for a long time afterwards and thinking a lot about the students that we've both seen to work with around healing from unwanted sexual experiences and just want to also acknowledge that this can happen to to anyone. Um, we are two white cisgendered women married to men. We both have little babies now. We mm-hmm. are both in relatively secure professional positions. And so we bring a lot of privilege to this conversation and have both done a lot of personal work to get to a point where we would be willing to talk about this in public. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's important to make space for that and and to for other people who might be listening to know that like this is our experience and it, it, we do come from privilege and this may look very different for someone who is a person of color or coming from a different background and um, acknowledging that, that injustice. Yeah. And sexual orientation and Mm -hmm. gender identity. And, you know, I know when often when I've spoken with male identified students, when they've experienced sexual assault, there are different levels of shame around masculinity and that sort of thing. So that there's, there's a lot of complexity to this, but nonetheless, that added layer of not, of not wanting to talk about it even more than it's already a taboo. Exactly. So I thought we would start the conversation just with a couple of statistics about prevalence and to also acknowledge that, you know, this is something that's probably widely underreported, but from a 2019 survey, wasn't a survey, data gathered from college counseling centers all over the country. So this is data provided by students themselves when they're coming in to college counseling centers. It's taken from over 200,000 students in the United States. Uh, 25% had reported unwanted sexual experiences or contacts within the last year. So one, one fourth. And, you know, part of this conversation between Kate and I is also going to be how alcohol and drug use has been part of our experiences, uh, whether before, during, and after those traumas. And 
interestingly, too, from that same data set, 27.5% of college students said they felt the need to reduce drugs and alcohol recently, and 37.5% reported binge drinking. So these are just uh, sobering statistics. And I also wanted to say that the prompt for students filling out that questionnaire about uh, unwanted sexual experiences asks uh, specifically, you were afraid to stop what was happening, passed out, drugged, drunk, incapacitated, asleep, threatened, or physically forced. And I think that that is really important because as we'll talk about that sexual assaults often happen when we are either afraid to stop what's happening, passed out, drugged, drunk, incapacitated, asleep, threatened, or physically forced, that it can really be any one of those things or a combination. Yeah, I really appreciate how broad that those are. Um, yeah, there are so many different types of ways to be violated and assaulted. And um, I think it's important to, to note that. For folks who are listening, we are not going to be graphic about our experiences. We're trying to provide just enough detail, but, but really here to talk about the themes and the ways that this unfolded in our lives beyond just the actual experience that happened. Um, that being said, Kate, I wonder if you would share a little bit about uh, about your sexual assault experiences. I understand it was more than one. So the first time um, I felt violated, um, which later turned into the words of, I have been sexually assaulted. Um, I was 14 and uh, this boy who was older than me by a few years, um, I think he was 17, uh, freshly 17 probably, had taken notice of me and asked me out on a date. And I, I, don't, I don't believe I probably had any kind of boyfriend at that point in my life before. And so it was very exciting. And I remember we went to the movies. Um, but before we went to the movies, he took me to a park and um, I absolutely had some unwanted sexual experiences there. And um, I remember sitting in the movie theater, wanting to go home and feeling extremely uncomfortable the whole movie. Um, and not, not really knowing what had just happened and why he didn't seem concerned at all. That must have been so scary for you as a 14-year-old. It was. And I, I, I continued to see him for a couple weeks after that and, and had very similar types of experiences continue to happen. And uh, I, I was so young thinking back, you know, and, and really it, it was my first kind of experience with anything sexual at all. And all I knew is that it didn't look like, it didn't feel like it was supposed to look like all the, all the TV shows that I was seeing, like it didn't look like that. Right. And it didn't feel right, but you right. didn't necessarily have the, the language or the life experience to know why yet, but intuitively yeah. you knew something wasn't right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Did you tell anyone about that? I wrote a letter to him about how I was angry and upset with him and I never wanted to talk to him again. And I just told my parents that he made me uncomfortable. I didn't say why. I said, I, I said, I think I probably said I felt pressured, um, which I did. Um, but I, I knew even then that I didn't want to say what had happened. Um, but I, I, I do, I remember writing this letter and, and giving it to him and he still couldn't understand like why I was so upset and why I was angry. And I didn't, I don't think I cared at the time. I, I just, I knew that I had to write this letter. I had to get it out to him and I had to never see him again. Wow. I mean, that's really powerful for a 14 year old to, to take matters into your own hands like that. Yeah. And it wasn't until years later that I realized I had, after that letter had been written, that I, I had stuffed everything that had happened and didn't really, I didn't process it with anybody. And so it wasn't until years later that other instances happened that I was like, oh, wow. I am having these reactions and these thoughts and these flashbacks and these memories of, of, this, of this other situation that happened that I never was able to, to process, to talk about. That's really important. I w- maybe that's a good time to talk about what the next incident was, right? So you dealt with it in the best way you could at the time. You sent a letter. Maybe you indicated something to your parents. You knew you needed to never see him again. And then you just kind of went, went along. Between that time at 14 and then the second time sexual, you were sexually assaulted, did you have other like sexual experiences? Yeah. Um, I start, I, yeah, yes. I had pleasant sexual experiences. Consensual. After that. Um, consensual. Pleasant. Yes. Okay. Um, so it wasn't, um, I, I don't, I don't believe at that point that I was affected negatively and in, in sexually anyway. Okay. That's okay. So the, so what happened? What was the second time you were sexually assaulted? Oh, gosh, I was probably 21, 21, 22. And uh, I was at a, at a bar drinking a lot and um, went home with this guy. And I, I just, I remember bits and pieces and I remember consenting I guess. <laughs> um, but it, I, I didn't want to have sex. I didn't want to be with him, but he had driven me to his house. I didn't have a car. I was drunk. I felt like if I said no, I might put myself in a more dangerous situation. And so I had sex. Um, and I remember waking up the next morning feeling dirty, feeling violated, feeling angry, feeling upset that this had happened. And at that point, I blamed myself. Why? I shouldn't have been drinking. I shouldn't have let him on. I shouldn't have gotten in the car with him. I should have just gone home. You know, you you name it, I felt it. Um, all, all of the, the 
cliches that we hear so often is what I was feeling and what I was thinking. What's it like for you to revisit this right now, to recall this right now? It makes me feel angry. And it makes me feel angry, not only for for my younger self, but for the women and men that this is still happening to. You know, and and this is still this is still going on. Um, we haven't made enough progress, like in so other so so many other areas of our of our of our world right now. Yeah, I share I share that. Did you tell anyone that time? No, I didn't. And so you'd said you were drinking a lot at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate and I have, are both in re- long-term recovery or whatever you would. Yeah, we each have different. I've been. I'm sober yeah. by choice. And Kate's a, Kate identifies as being in long-term recovery. So, um, so thankfully we made it to the other side of all of that that stuff. Um, that t- yeah. time of heavy, heavy, heavy uh, regular drug and alcohol use. Um, so you were, you were already drinking pretty heavily at the time and had you started to use drugs, drugs by then as well? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure I was high as well. Okay. So how do you think you, if you didn't tell anybody and you blamed yourself, how do you think you coped, coped with that at the time? Well, I, I absolutely drank more, used more because now not only am I feeling all of these awful feelings of being violated and feeling dirty and um, no one's going to want me and I'm worthless and all, all of these things. Not only am I feeling those, I'm also now remembering feelings that I had when I was 14. And so now all of that's kind of coming back. And so it, it just, it, um, I can't think of the word. Well, it amplifies or magnifies the the trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it just, it, it reaffirmed, that's the word I'm looking for. It reaffirmed that I am worthless and I am disgusting because this happened to me before. So it must be true. I want to get back to that. I think that that was a really significant part of how I responded to my sexual assaults. Um, so let's, let's return to that. What about time number three? Time number three, I was completely blacked out. I, before I blacked out, I had been, you know, flirting with this guy and and pretty handsy making out. And then I blacked out. I don't remember a single thing. I still don't remember a single thing from that night. And I remember waking up the next morning and I, I knew that I had had sex um, and I did not feel physically okay. I did not feel emotionally okay. And I s- did not say anything to anybody. And in the third instance, did you even know who might've done that? I assumed it was this guy that I had been intimate with in other ways earlier that evening. Um, but I don't know. There were a lot of people at that particular party. 
I'm just aware of how painful all of this is and how common, how common. Yeah, absolutely, it's common. I'm just, I'm hearing the progression too. Like Mm -hmm. the first time it happened, you're 14, you know something's wrong, you're sober, right? right? You're stone cold sober and you have the courage to advocate for yourself and confront him afterwards and say, this wasn't okay. What you did to me wasn't okay. I felt pressured. I'm never going to, you know, and to remove yourself, I'm never going to see you again. And then to go on and have some pleasurable, sounds like for you at the time, healthy sexual experiences Mm -hmm. after that, right? Fast forward and you're in college and drinking heavily, didn't, didn't want to do it and did it anyway. Yeah. Because you were in a situation where you didn't feel like you could back out of it mm-hmm. safely. And and also um I'm wondering too about like well like how we can get into these patterns where we feel like, well, I'm I already got this far and I get ga- I gave him or her the message that I was into it and so I'm kind of committed. I can't back out now. Right. We've come this far, I can't back out now. I can't take back my consent. I've already given it. Yeah. When that's not true at all. But a really common misconception. And I think when we are, especially when we are socialized women, especially, but this can, I think this can happen to anyone to be socialized into being deferential and compliant and polite and courteous and agreeable and all of these all of these things that it can go against all of that conditioning to say, no, I changed my mind. I'm yeah. not okay with this. It makes me think about the um, video. I don't know if you've seen it. It's about consent. It's done with like a teacup and tea. And uh, maybe we can post that um, as part of this uh, podcast, but it's a really great video of consent and it just, it makes it so clear, so clear. I love that video. We will post any, anything we can that we bring up. We will post to the show notes for you to check out afterwards. And then like the third, by the third time you were just totally blacked out and weren't really there at all when it happened to you. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me talk for a moment about what happened to me because there's some similarities. There's some similarities and then we'll, we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. So I was, it's funny, I, I, before I t- tell this story and I'll try to make it brief, I've been, I always think a lot about whenever we tell a story about ourselves, it always has to begin somewhere for the story to start. But there are always so many other possible beginnings to any story. And so, so even though Kate and I picked up where we picked up, there are threads, I'm sure, that run that run and influence those moments well before the story begins. And that, that is certainly true for me and the way that I was raised and how ill-equipped I was as a young woman, um, 16 when the first thing happened, but I'm really going to talk about what happened when I was 17, but just not prepared at all to hold my own with the opposite sex and growing up in a really religiously conservative environment where I was taught that 
I, you know, I couldn't trust men and I needed to preserve my sexuality for marriage or at least for someone that had marital intentions with me. And so I, when I started as a teenager to just barely begin to explore, I had these kind of fantastical ideas of what of romance and just assumed that if uh, if someone expressed sexual interest in me, of course they had serious intentions. So I was very naive, very, very naive. And that I think that that didn't prepare me well for, for become, you know, becoming a young adult who was, who was sexual and wanted to connect with, with people in that way. So something happened with a much older man when I was, when I was 16 and I was able to kind of get, get out of being, being raped by performing other sexual acts. And I was uh, under the influence at the time and, but I, but I was really scared. He was forcing himself on me and I was able to get kind of get, get away um, with maybe less viol. I don't know. I don't even know how to put it, but I was very violated and I felt still like somehow I had, this was the religious conditioning, like escaped with my integrity intact because I had not had sexual intercourse yet. And I had been able to avoid that experience. So I, I shoved that deep down inside. I felt a lot of shame about that. And I knew kind of like the 14 year old you knew that something wrong had happened, but I didn't feel like I could tell anyone about it because I knew that they were going to judge me for being, you know, be, this was a guy that I thought was really handsome. He was in his thirties. So I was 16. He was in his thirties. Um, Did you so, know and, that that's what you were doing? by like saving yourself from rape? Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, I did. I mean, I, I could, yeah. At 16. I, it was a, it was, a, yeah, it was a strategic. And like up until then, like I had only like made out with a couple yeah. of guys. Like I was very sexually yeah. inexperienced. So yeah, I made a strategic decision that, that maybe that would get me out of there. Um, and I, there's so much more to that story, but I'll keep, I'll keep going after that. Um, so that was, so at that time I definitely, I had already been drinking some using, using drugs just, you know, and I would say that that behavior intensified for me, although because I was young, I didn't have a lot of access either. So it was kind of like whenever I could, I did. I I felt, I turned against my body though. And it, it was around that time that I started smoking cigarettes. And the man who had done that to me smoked cigarettes. And I just, um, bef before that point, I had had a really healthy relationship with, with my private sexuality. And I just, I stopped, I just kind of stopped engaging in that. It was too painful. And so, so there were definitely some impacts to me as a 16 year old. Um, I think that's interesting to note, you know, I, I, I had the opposite reaction, you know, like you completely stopped 
right? And I didn't. <laughs> I went the opposite way. Uh, this is where I need my validation. This is where I need to feel whole and feel not worthless. Yeah, and that came in that came in later for me. That definitely came in later. I think initially I was just so, so, so shocked that I just kind of shut everything down. Sure. Um, yeah. And when I was 17, I was felt more world, worldly. So I was in college. I was dual enrolled and going to college classes. And I felt like a big girl. And I, my group of friends was hanging out with this guy who was older, really handsome. And I, I totally had a crush on him. And he was very charming uh, probably in his 30s again, honestly. He's, he dr drank a lot of beer and smoked cigarettes and listened to records. And I just thought he was so cool. And I I don't know his last name, but I, uh, you know, I'll never forget his first name was Joe. And I was drinking and stuff around him. And I really, I really wanted him to like me. And it started to seem like he did. And so one night I, I, asked my friends if they would let me stay over at his house after we'd been over there partying. And they said they would leave me there. And I told him, so he, we finally kissed and I told him that I wanted to stay the night, but that I was, you know, I, I was a virgin. That's the word that I used and I didn't want to have sex with him, but I did want to stay the night. And he said, Oh yeah, yeah, that's fine. And we proceeded to drink more and in the you know in the course of being physical with one another he just started to have sex with me like uh, like and so it was i was able to get away i was able to get away and he just he fell asleep i was able to i spent the night on the couch and then was able to get away and I think that what is so hard to acknowledge about my story, which I have really come to terms with, but it took me a long time, is that I went back. I knew that I, I knew that I had not given my consent and that nothing had changed. Um, but when he really forced himself on me, so I knew that I had given, had not given my consent and that happened. Um, but I, but I felt so shocked and confused. I really thought to myself, what just happened? Maybe, maybe it was an accident. Maybe he, maybe he had done something by mistake and that if I could just go back and have like a, a redo that maybe we could salvage the we could salvage the situation somehow. So he must surely he must care about me. He must want to see me again. And so I went I went back kind of like desperately. Like he wouldn't even he kind of ghosted me and I, I was able to like stalk him a little bit and get him to see me again. And it happened again. Um and I didn't tell anybody and I, I knew something bad had happened, but I absolutely believed it was my fault. What were you feeling during all of this, the first time and the second time? 
I remember a combination of shock and shame. And also, like, I can still remember walking into my, my mom and my stepdad's house where I was living at the time, walking in the next day after that had happened in my same clothes and stuff and feeling like I was never going to be the same. And then I was now carrying a secret that they could not know that was that like something like something dirty was now inside of me and it was never going to, it was never going to be known and I was never going to be the same. Yeah. What a pivotal moment for little Sarah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would say from there, um, a lot of like kind of, you, you know, after one common common response to this kind of trauma is to become uh, more sexual, is to seek validation, like you said, Kate, is to kind of go off the rails in some ways. And so I, I started doing doing a lot of that stuff, just more partying, um, kind of like yeah. desperately hoping that uh, someone would like me and want me and be healing to me, but continue to have a lot of really negative experiences. And, and I would say that for probably all of those experiences for a long time, I wasn't even fully present in my body, drunk or not, intoxicated or not. I just, I was like, they, you know, like splitting off where, you know, if you're, if you're in the moment of a trauma, like often a survival instinct is to just separate from your body and, and kind of just watch it happen. We might call that disassociation or that sort of thing, but that absolutely happened to me. And so I was just kind of spinning out there wildly and just kind of at the, at the whim of, I didn't feel valuable. I didn't feel special. I, I, I felt kind of ruined, honestly. Yeah. And, and for you, you also turned to the, to the alcohol and, and drugs at that point too, of just to get, to get the memories away, to get the feelings away. Yeah. And I think I, you know, I, in, told myself I enjoyed it at the time. Like the, the drinking was fun. It was what people were doing. My friend group also was smoking a lot of marijuana. Like that, that was just like what cool young adults did. And right. so it was a, it was a combination of a lot of pain that I was in and wanting to be, belong to a social group. Right. And, and just really being drawn to the idea of being big and mature and, yeah. And so all those things combined really was like a lot of kindling for, a, you know, a fire that ignited. And I think this might be a good place to talk about too, a little bit of the, like after the, after the morning after things, like my friends, and I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but my, my friend group was like, Oh, you were so wasted last night. That was so funny when you did this, this or that. And like, glorifying it and making it seem like it was okay. Um, and so, you know, again, of, of that feeling of not wanting to say this horrible thing that had happened to me because I was funny last night or I was getting acceptance in other kinds of ways. 
um, from my friend group. Um, oh, yes. Oh, yes. And we all, as a friend group, continued to hang out with him mm. afterwards. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't um, I didn't realize that something had happened or a lot of things had happened to me until I was close to finishing my undergrad at the University of Florida and had taken a women's studies class as a just as an elective. And the, the concept of consent came up in the women's studies class one day, and I just started bawling. Yeah. When did you, when did you realize? I was in grad school, which was not that long ago. You know, I just graduated. Um, yeah, I've, I've been clean now for eight years. And um, so when, when I had this kind of like realization of like, oh my God, this, this, these things happened to me and it has profoundly affected my life. I probably had maybe six years clean, you know, in grad school talking about human sexuality and uh, trauma and all, all the classes that we had to take for, for mental health counseling. Um, of really just realizing like the, the impact and that, um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't alone. And I, I already knew that, you know, I, I knew I wasn't alone. You know, I, I would hear other people kind of share about their own sexual trauma, sexual, unwanted sexual experiences, rape, whatever you, they wanted to call it. Um, and it felt good to know that they were open about talking about what happened to them. And I still felt shame and talking about it, about me, but I'll talk about it with you all day, you know? So, um, uh, it, it was at that point that I, I got some, some therapy around it and, um, really processed it, it this, the, it, all the experiences that happened to me. One of the things that I have thought a lot about in my life is how my story might have been different if I had been able to get help right after that very first time when I was 16 mm -hmm. and I, someone tried to rape me and I was able to experience violation, but you know, like what, what would it been, have been like if I could have gotten counseling right away? Yeah. Yeah. I think about that a lot too. And I, I also think about how, <laughs> I mean, I, so I, I, I did go to counseling at some point in my younger years after that had happened. Um, and it wasn't even a thought to like process what had happened to me, you know, like I didn't want to tell the therapist that I smoked weed. I didn't want to tell the therapist that I had, you know, engaged in any kind of sexual behavior at all. Like I felt all this shame about, all of the behaviors that I, I was doing and um, who I was becoming, I guess. Um, so I, 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 I wish that, I wish that it had been more acceptable to talk about. Um, you know, there, we've done a lot as a society about 
destigmatizing it and the Me Too movement and all, all of these amazing things. Um, and I, I guess if that, maybe if, maybe if we had been where we are now, back when I was 14, I would have felt more comfortable talking about it and processing it. And I don't know. I I think a lot about how often so at the you know at the counseling center when students do reach out for help after something like this whether immediately after or quite a while after they've experienced something like this and that often drugs or alcohol are involved in the assault and how hopefully in sharing our stories, we're, we're sharing how complicated that can, can feel. Uh, but I wonder if you might even talk a little bit more about that, Kate, like how the, like how the, how the drugs and alcohol might've played, played into your response to your experience, to the blame, the self blame for your experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely felt all of the blame because I was using, you know, um, like I said earlier, if I hadn't been drunk, if I hadn't been using this substance or that substance, then this wouldn't have happened. So, of course, it's my fault. Um, and, you know, after getting clean, I was able to see that that wasn't true and, and it wasn't my fault. Um, even even if the alcohol and drugs are a factor or a part of someone's story as to the, the situation that happened when they were assaulted, you know, it still doesn't make up for the fact that this person assaulted them, this person raped them, this person took advantage. I also think that the intoxication component complicated things for me and made it one of the one let me put it this way one of the metaphors or whatever that I've heard in my journey of getting and staying sober from alcohol is that that intoxication is kind of like messing with really sensitive air airline flight equipment where you're 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 messing with your internal radar and your your orientation system and your warning system right like and so because i had really kind of tampered with that system of 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 warning and danger and something's not right through my alcohol use i was less likely to stand up for myself or to, to like, I, there were definitely times where I consented, but internally was not okay was what was happening where I, I verbally consented. I might, might've physically consented, but inside I wasn't sure. I had no idea what I was doing. And Absolutely. yeah, and, and like that happened a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. 
It's hard to talk about. It is, and, and it, it is still so complicated. All the emotions that one feels when they're assaulted like that, when they're violated like that, on top of, I've also drank to excess or I was high or whatever it may be. And so there's already that layer of blame, already. I've also talked to people who, um, male, male identified people and some cisgendered males who have come in and, and said, we were both drinking a lot and we both consented, but the next day she was really upset with me and said she wished that she hadn't done it. And I've, I've, I'm really, really upset. Did I just rape someone? That wasn't, that was not my intention. Uh, I thought we were both in it together and that there are a lot of complexities. There are, there are. And I'm not sure that I have any of the answers, you know, like, does that mean that no one should ever have sex if they're drinking? Like, that's just not realistic. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so it makes it just, it's, it's complicated. It's messy. It's uncomfortable. And I don't have any of the answers either. I can say that I, I have, um, felt like when, when those, when those men have come in and and shared their pain and and anguish about, about that, I have actually found that to be healing that, Mm -hmm. that somebody would really struggle with that and have, you know, encouraged, encouraged those, those people to reach out, to reach out to the person who was upset and, and try to try to heal somehow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I think maybe maybe the thing since it, there are no easy answers and that these are really common experiences. I wonder if we talk about so there's a there's a stuff around prevention, right? And we'll mm-hmm. put that consent video up, but there's lots and lots of work that you can do regardless of who you are around around consent and safer, safer consent practices, safer practices around drugs and alcohol, going out with friends, having agreements with your friends in advance of, you know, what codes or a look or whatever it may be. Yeah. Or if I'm really intoxicated, don't let me spend the night with a new cute guy, no matter how much I'm begging, right? There are different, you can come up with different protocols yeah. uh but but then sh- given that that there i'm assuming there are students listening to this who have had some version of our experience kate kind of right. what does healing look like what has healing yeah. what has healing looked like for you <clears throat> so um it wasn't until after i got clean and after i started really working on myself that i um realized that I had some healing that I needed, that needed to happen um, sexually and emotionally. Um, And I think that uh, there are still times in my life where 
I'm like, oh, this is, this is still present. This is still part of my life. And thankfully I have an amazing partner and, you know, we're able to, to process that and talk through it. And I think that's, that open communication with, with my partner is super helpful. And I mean, key, you know, I I wouldn't be able to, (laughs) to be in this relationship with him if if it it wasn't open and and communicative, like, like it is. Um, So I, I think that processing it with, a counselor or in a group or even with a friend is it's so important just talk about it and I know I know that it's uncomfortable to talk about I know that that shame is there and it's the first step of of just talking about it being open and being part of that like "Mm, me too and I want I think I should mention too like Yes, it was important and powerful for me at 14 to write that letter to the, to the guy. Um, and it was important to process it years later. And things continue to kind of surface and resurface and memories will come and memories will fade. And no matter when memories or feelings come up, even if they're reoccurring, or, oh, I already thought I dealt with that. It's important to talk about. I mean, trauma tends to revisit us, right? It tends to keep Absolutely. coming back. And my my colleague, psychologist Jim Probert, has taught me a lot about the the potential for when trauma comes back, it's an opportunity to heal even more deeply. That it's not, it's yeah. not that you know, we've necessarily regressed or anything like that, but that there are just so many layers to these things. And hopefully we can greet the layers with more resources and more compassion and than than we were able to initially when, when it happened. Yeah. And I, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about um, when I was a, uh, an intern at the crisis center, the Alachua County Crisis Center, I was talking about sexual assault with uh, Jan Green, one of the staff members over at the crisis center, and how it's so painful to talk about. And, you know, what if talking through it, I would feel even more pain than when I started talking about it. And like, what is that? And, and is this even helping? And why should I talk about these things? And why should clients talk about these things? And she, I'm sure I'm going to botch it, but she talked about the, um, hearing this story about how when you are in, in therapy and you're healing, it's like you're climbing up a ladder and that you'll, you'll climb up a couple of rungs and you say, oh, I feel, I feel a lot better. But then you're going to, you look down and you're like, oh crap, I need to, I need to talk about that thing that I left down there. So you have to go back down the ladder and feel that pain even more. And then you go up a couple more steps, a couple more rungs. And then you're like, oh, but what about that way down there? Cause that's now coming up for me and going all the way back down the ladder and having to start from the very bottom. And so it, it, it really helped me visually see in my head what was happening internally with me, with my clients, with my friends, 
that yes, therapy is healing. And yes, talking about it with anybody is it's going to be healing and it's also going to be painful because it's going to bring up stuff that you maybe hadn't thought about before or that you had thought about before, but didn't process it enough. It's a, it's a long process. Yeah. I, I love that. I hadn't heard of that, but I, I love that. And that feels really true for my own journey. I remember I, I walk, I'll never forget sometime after that women's studies class, I went up and talked to my professor and she was lovely and she encouraged me to consider counseling. And I one day just got up, got up the bravery to walk into the building Peabody Hall, where I, where I have been working as a counselor now for the last eight years. But as a student, like 21, I, I walked in, I didn't have an appointment. I walked in one day and I just said, I need some help and probably started to cry to the front desk person. And they told me to, to sit and wait. And someone came out and got me. I don't remember her name either, but she was a African-American, uh, advanced doctoral intern so she wasn't even you know licensed yet but she came out and got me and we proceeded to spend about eight to ten hours together over the course of a few months um and i had failed out of a semester at uf i had gotten i had been a straight a student all my life and at some point in there after that the sexual traumas and then, you know, some additional stuff that happened once I was in college, I just spent one semester and didn't, didn't get out of bed, smoked a bunch of cigarettes, just wanted to kill myself and didn't, didn't show up to class. At times I got up the courage to go to class and I would sit outside of class and chain smoke right outside of the door and not go in. This was back when smoking was allowed. Um, and so it was a very, very dark time for me. And when I started working with this counselor, I felt pretty hopeless for my, you know, I was a first generation college student. I was a scholarship student and student loan student. And I felt like this semester of all Fs was just going to be, be the beginning of the end for me. And she introduced me to the medical withdrawal process and really validated my pain and, got, you know, got me on the right track to where it really was a radical turning point for me in my life. And it was only the beginning of working on that stuff. I didn't meet my husband until I was 35, I think 34. And when I met him, he was so different from most of the men that I had been kind of continuously drawn to that I didn't realize how good he was. In fact, I thought he was kind of boring. Um, I, we, we broke up three times. I broke up with him three times within the first six months or so of dating because I didn't know what it was like to feel really safe with somebody. And that when you feel really safe with someone, things aren't necessarily all like intense and, like I had, I had yes. learned to confuse like intensity with, with love and with intimacy and with connection. And 
you know, here was someone who was just really open and like, yeah, I want to be with you. I can see this. I can see this working out. I, I want to marry, if we're still together next year, I want to marry you. And I was like, oh gosh, um, I ran away. And so it took me, it took me even a little bit more after that to realize like, no, wait a second, that, that, um, this is, this is different and different is good. And how do I learn to be, to, to be, feel safe and comfortable and comforted in a long-term intimate relationship. And so, yeah, I'm going on 40 here and we've got a baby who's turning one and, and I'm still in, in uncovering layers of, of healing. Um, and, but it's so much better than it ever has been before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I realized that I, I was muted when you were talking about that. And I, I laughed because I, I can relate, you know, I, I'm with this amazing man right now and he is so different than the men that I was drawn to. So different. And I remember having that same, like, it's kind of boring. Like, is this okay? Like, I don't know. I mean, it's not very exciting. And that has changed now as I've, you know, gotten older and, and <laughs> realized that this is healthy. This is amazing and, and loving. And, you know, it's a beautiful journey that we're on. And we also have a little baby and, you know, it, it's a, it's a normal quiet life that we have built. Um, and, and the boring, it's not boring. It's just not toxic. (laughs) You know, I had to, I had to really understand that, but it's not boredom that I'm feeling it's, it's health and, um, contentment. Yeah. Me too. Which is, it's nice to be able to say me too to that, right? Not not just me yeah. too to the first part, but me too to that. I want one other point of clarification. If if folks are regular listeners to this show, then you know that I've done lots of therapy. So starting uh, at the at the UF it was called the UF Counseling Center, I think back then in the day. But I've saw many many therapists after that, so it wasn't like eight or 10 sessions and I was, I was all, all good to go. Um, but just wanted to clarify that, but, um, for students at UF or other campuses, or even just people in that, in that age range, you know, whether you're in college or not in college, who are listening to this and are thinking about something that happened to them. What, do you want to say, Kate? You know, I, I really just want to stress that, like, if something made you uncomfortable in any kind of way, it's worth talking about. You know, I know for me, I, I didn't talk about it for so long because, you know, I, I didn't have a gun held to my head and I wasn't you know, violently raped, like I, I've seen on the news or heard from other people. And so my trauma is not worth talking about because it's not as traumatic as somebody else's. 
and also going back to that that list that you shared at the very beginning of like there are so many different ways to be violated um and that everybody's trauma is worth talking about no matter what it looks like and no matter how complicated the circumstances that it's yeah. worth it's worth talking about you're worth it you're worth it and you can benefit from healing no matter what yeah and i i would also say i mean research really supports this that while it's never too late to start the healing journey the sooner you can get some support the better and i i have found been been really surprised at times to speak with people the morning after or within a few days of something like this happening and mm-hmm. we've been able to process it and they say that they're they got what they needed like that they in as a result of talking about it quickly and say it was a safe person they were able to take their power back very quickly and so i i think that kate and i both had long journeys and probably complicated by the definitely complicated right by the substance use that took took yeah. hold that was yeah. likely related uh but but that the the sooner that you can reach out uh the, the sooner there's there's an opportunity to to begin to heal and that 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 can sometimes reduce the the amount of collateral damage that winds up happening when we when we don't address the the pain and the original wounds they can really take on a life of their own yeah it's never too late to start the healing journey never too late nope or too early i guess that's the it's never too late yeah never too late never yeah. too early yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. thank you i realized this conversation it was really sensitive and we're we're here we're here there are lots of resources the national suicide hotline your local crisis center your local counseling center a trusted friend or family member just re- reach out if if this touched a nerve for you and you need some support thank you kate Thank you so much for having me here and I'm glad we were able to connect in this way. You've been listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. For new episodes, show notes, and to leave feedback or suggestions, please visit counseling.ufl.edu slash CWC Talks.